0: Your friends and our Lord, our text is the parable that you heard a moment ago, the parable of the wicked tenants paying particular attention to these words. The tenants took his servants, beat one and killed one and stoned another. And again, he sent other servants more than the first and they did likewise to them. And then last of all, he sent his son. So far, our text. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The writer of the book of Hebrews begins his epistle with these words. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. The parable today points out the fact that in many and various ways, God's people of old dismissed those prophets and did away with those prophets by which God spoke. They didn't much like the message, so they killed God's messengers. Recall that God sent to them the prophet Isaiah with a message. Because Isaiah spoke against the church and state-sponsored idolatry, Isaiah was fastened. Tradition has it between two planks, and he was sawn in half. God sent Jeremiah, who spoke unwaveringly, unwaveringly against sin, calling sin what it is. Calling a spade a spade and preaching judgment because of Israel's persistence in it. But he was bludgeoned to death with stones. God sent Amos to curb the greed and the injustice that festered beneath and below the surface of Israel's bustling economy and their bulging geographic borders. But no repentant fruit received Israel didn't much like the message. So tortured and slayed and disposed of God's messenger, God sent Habakkuk to soften the heart and the stubborn hearts of the men of Judah, but they wouldn't listen. Not liking the message, the Jews stoned Habakkuk until he lay lifeless. God sent also Ezekiel to his people in their darkest days. The Babylonian captivity, Ezekiel warned against the worship of false gods. The message rejected The messenger, Ezekiel, is said to have been strung to horses and dragged through the streets. Of course, God sent also, as the last of the prophets, John the Baptist, who pulled no punches in accusing sinners of sin, calling them to repentance. And you know what became of John? The message was rejected. The messenger. Silenced when Herod beheaded this prophet of the Most High, as he's called. You see, in many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by these prophets, but so often they just didn't want to hear what he had to say. In today's parable, Christ reminds the Jews of his day just how those those prophets and that message of old was received. The vineyard owner sent his servants to the tenants that they might receive its fruit, the fruit of this vineyard. The vine dressers took his servants and they beat one and they killed one and they stoned another and he sent more. And they did likewise to them. Christ's words here, his words to those to whom he spoke is quite an indictment, isn't it, against the church of old? In fact the church could be charged here on two accounts not only not only did they not like the message and reject the message but the church killed the messenger Jerusalem Christ said Jerusalem the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her But I want to take you back to the first words of the epistle to the Hebrews The words we began with today because the author wasn't finished in speaking of the spokesman that God sent. In many and various ways, he writes, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. But then he adds this, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. You see, you know how the parable continues. And it is remarkable when you think about it that after having servant upon servant beaten and broken and bludgeoned and brutalized and buried it's remarkable to think that God would send his beloved son. It's remarkable to think that he'd send his one and only to this people whose record of rejection and resistance was long and tried and very true. Certainly it's not reasonable to think that he would. Remarkable, though, he must love mankind that much. Because you know how the parable continues. He did send his son. He sent his son, and his son, St. John the Evangelist writes, came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They rejected him too. They hated the message. Martin Luther puts it so well in that remark that's printed in the front of your service folder. If you have time later to to take a look, I encourage you to do it. Martin Luther says, they didn't know what much to make of this. This one who came tearing down their self-righteous ways. Luther says he didn't fit. Christ didn't fit. He disfigured their building that they were constructing. They didn't much like the message. And so they killed the messenger. They threw him out of the vineyard. They crucified him. It's tragic. It's wicked indeed without a doubt. It's inexcusable and absolutely so. And so we might say, yes, and shame on them for it. But what does it have to do with you and me? What does it really have to do with us here and now? Some 20 centuries removed from that very time when the son was delivered over into the hands of sinners and delivered up. What does it have to do with you and me? Well, friends, the rejection of God's word, no matter under which form it comes, is a problem It's a problem not only for the church of old it's a problem for the church of every age we may not have betrayed Christ to the religious leaders who conspired to take his life our hands may not have been the hands that fixed him to the cross or may not have been the hand that received those 30 pieces of betrayal maybe we didn't kill the prophets and manhandle those sent. But, but there are many more ways, and more subtle ways indeed, but equally sinful ways to reject God's word. Think about it. Think about it. Like his people of old, have we disregarded God's word by disregarding those who deliver it? Does the church everywhere Affirm what Christ did of those that he's sent. He who hears you, hears me. Do we in our own lives, individually so, do we partition or saw, if you will, God's word in half? Choosing only to value the part of it that doesn't infringe upon our chosen way of life? Or do we perhaps drag it through the streets, as it were? Profaning it as ordinary or less? Or do we, like some before us, simply choose not to hear it? Many and various, you see, are the ways to reject the message of that vineyard owner when it comes. And it's a problem, as I say, not only for the church, the people of the church of God, it's a problem, too, for the leaders of the church of every age as well. And you notice something interesting in the gospel text for today. Matthew tells us that the chief priests, remember at the end of the reading, He said the chief priests and the Pharisees perceived and rightly so perceived in this parable that Jesus was speaking of them. Who were they but the leaders of the church of their day, the professional expounders, explainers, preachers, proclaimers, teachers of the message, the ones who should have been cultivating repentance and the fruit of repentance. And indeed, it's true age after age. Leaders within the church, certainly guilty of that, of of going the way of leaders of old, so tempting it is in every age to disregard the full counsel, the whole counsel, the complete counsel of God's word. And all around us we see and hear of churches in Christendom doing just that. Mitigating or lessening or diminishing. The proclamation of God's judgment against sin, the law. God's law that would drive us to that very repentance of which Christ spoke. And why is it so often done? Well, it's supposed that the message would be far more palatable to people and attractive and less offensive to the world. But what, though, does God say about changing the message, about adding sweetener and and saccharine, when God's recipe is called for salt, what does God say? To his watchman, he said, through his prophet, warn them for me, he says. For when I say that the wicked shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn them, the wicked shall yet die in his iniquity. But his blood I'll require at your hand. You see, changing the message to any degree is rejecting the message to that very degree. And in our age certainly there's a pandering too to the permissiveness of the postmodern mindset that suggests that what's what's true for for me may not be true for you or for others. For someone else refusing to hear his son has a message been forgotten that was spoken to us through his son. When his son said to the father your word is truth. When Christ said, I am the way and the truth and the life. In every age, leaders in the church too are tempted to compromise. In an attempt to satisfy the insatiable demands of the culture of the time, surrendering the timeless authority of God's word the suggestion that old, these old and ancient scriptures certainly they don't still apply in our new and our changing times refusing to hear his prophet, has been rejected then the message that God spoke through the prophet, I am the Lord, he said, and I do not change. Though heaven and earth would pass away. My word, mark it, will never pass away. Not only a, a lightening of the law, but also a dilution, a diluting of the gospel has been a problem so that human efforts are said to be the cornerstone of assurances. How is it? So often the measure of one's Christian commitment to a dying world, one's zeal replaces so subtly, replaces Christ's, the emphasis of Christ's commitment to this dying world. As the cornerstone and indicator of a sound Christian structure. You see what's done? One's love of God trumps the God of love. Paul spoke of this in the old, rather the epistle reading. He said, A Pharisee of Pharisees I was, one with zeal I had. But he said, I count this all as rubbish compared to Christ and what he's done. Hearers too often are directed to themselves to measure their faith. Instead of fixing eyes on Christ who is the author and the perfecter of it. See the rejection of God's word in so many and and various ways. Some refuse to hear, some hear what they want to hear. Some dress up and and cover up God's word so that it is eventually lost. And all of this really is depicted quite well with a little known piece of American historical trivia. Did you know that no one knows exactly where the cornerstone of the Washington Monument really lies? It's true, the the precise location of that sturdy capstone of that grand obelisk near the tallest in the world remains a mystery. Undoubtedly covered up and lost track of in the construction of the monument. And so it is with those who cover up God's word, rejecting it as it is and trying to make it something that it's not. It's a tragedy because in the end, the cornerstone is hidden and covered up and it's lost. To the person, each and every one of us is guilty with the tenant's guilty hands. To the person, each of us should heed with fear the stern. Warning that Christ issues with this parable today. If you continue to reject, you will be rejected. For the stone that the builders of all of these humanly devised systems of salvation, the stone that the builders rejected, the stone God has made the the cornerstone the chief capstone. You see, unlike the capstones of history that may be dusted out out of sight by the sands of time or, or simply lost in man's building projects, this cornerstone will not be. It will not be. Either you'll stand by grace upon it, or, as Christ said, you'll be crushed and condemned under it. Do you think about what God the Father did for you? You think about what the owner of the vineyard did for you. And you can be certain where God the Father intends for you to be. Knowing how his beloved son would indeed be received by the hands of men he sent him anyway. Knowing that tenants hands couldn't nail His son to the cross fast enough. He sent him deliberately. Knowing that the rock of divine justice would come crushing down upon his son. So that it need never come down on you or me. He sent his son. Lovingly. For mark his message. And receive it well. Through the prophet Isaiah he has said it pleased the Lord to crush him. It pleased the Lord to crush him and to make his soul an offering for our sin. Knowing what would be done to his son, he sent him lovingly in the Son. The Son with equal love for you lovingly went. The son lovingly went, and, and yet he still comes. He still comes to tend to his vineyard most faithfully, most loyally to us against the tide of human resistance and, and rejection. He sends regularly and predictably a forgiving and a saving grace by his word, and by baptismal water, and by the sacrament of the vineyard in that bread and in that wine his very body and blood to us and through these things what does he do forgives us certainly so but through these things he also changes our naturally tenant-like hands so that they drop the sword of resistance they drop the swords of resistance and they take in hand the ploughshares that work in his vineyard for the fruit of repentance Think of what God has done for you, and you'll recognize that by his grace, you're resting securely right where he intends for all people to be. Securely upon Christ, the cornerstone. This is the cornerstone of confidence that God's people of all time and the leaders in the church of every age have had. It's their confidence. It's the cornerstone of confidence that compelled apostles and evangelists to deliver God's word no matter what came of them. Matthew preached until he too was slain by the sword. Mark, until he was dragged through the streets of Alexandria. Did he confess Christ? Luke confessed him until he was hanged from an olive tree. Stephen, until he was stoned. Peter, until he was crucified upside down. James the greater, until he was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and then beaten to death. Bartholomew, until he was flayed alive and the list goes on and it goes on. But it does go on and on because these messengers and these confessors of God, they knew what the prophets of old knew. And together they share and did share the same life confidence that we share with them and with the hymnist who penned these words that we'll now sing that Christ is our cornerstone. On him alone we build, with his true saints alone the courts of heaven are filled. On his great love our hopes we place, of present grace and joys above.